Hi, everybody. Welcome to the John Meyer Podcast. Our topic today is resiliency, responsibility, and recovery with AWS and Veeam. Before we get to that topic, how about we give our guests a chance to introduce themselves? Hey, I'm Michael Cade. I'm a field CTO at Veeam Software. And over the last three years, I've been really focused on our cloud native and cloud technology. So telling the stories around what we're seeing from a customer point of view. And yeah, happy to be here. Michael, you got 30 seconds. Elevator pitch. What is Veeam? First and foremost, it's around protecting that data. We started off from a virtualization point of view, protecting virtual machines. Obviously, the world has changed. We're now in the cloud. We're now in Kubernetes. We're now in SaaS. We have to think about protecting that workload from failure scenarios. Ransomware might be very topical, but there's we still make mistakes as humans. You know what we haven't talked about on this show yet is the Kubernetes capabilities. How about you talk to us about Veeam and Kubernetes? Yeah, so we made an acquisition three years ago. It was a company called Kasten. They have a product called Kasten K10 three years ago. And it was very strategic for us in that we were seeing these new workloads around Kubernetes and cloud native, container orchestration engines, et cetera. And we saw that they had very, a very similar ethos to what we had at Veeam around being storage and, and infrastructure agnostic, but being able to provide that, that capability of protecting those workloads but equally, they've got something pretty special around being able to provide that mobility of that data as well. So being able to go from one Kubernetes cluster, one flavor of Kubernetes, it might be Red Hat OpenShift to EKS or vice versa, but being able to offer that mobility of data. We've also got that within the wider Veeam platform, um, but that's really the, the key part. And it's we're seeing a lot more data service land inside of, of Kubernetes clusters as well. So stateful workloads running inside of the cluster as well as out. That was a bit longer than 30 seconds. No. <laughs> oh, I love it. He's like a little bit longer than 30 seconds. Well, uh, this is, you know you know what? You can take 60 seconds. Right. It's good. Michael, talk to me a little bit more about the portability of it because you went from, you know, Red Hat over to, you know, OpenShift to um, EKS. It, can we do more portability to other clouds? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so, that's probably the biggest differentiator that we have in this in this space is that ability to go from whatever Kubernetes cluster to whatever Kubernetes cluster. So a lot of people start on-premises in their own data center. They've made a big spend there, so they want to take advantage of that. But then they want to move into the cloud because they want that elasticity and they want that mobility of data and the ability to scale up their workloads there. So we're helping customers migrate their applications mo make their applications more mobile at that point, plus the data. The application's the easy bit, right? It's just a load of YAML manifests. But the persistent volume claim is the, is the key part, or the database that's associated to that application. That's the, that's the important stuff. Well, if I'm not backing, if I'm backing up my Kubernetes cluster using Casting K, aren't I backing up automatically the data outside of the Kubernetes cluster? Isn't it stateless? Why, why do I need it? Yeah, so the, there is a, a myth to debunk here in that, so Kubernetes, when it first started, was very much a stateless stateless play, right? It never really handled storage very well, so you wouldn't really contend and put your data anywhere near it. But over the last, I would say over the last four or five years, where we've had the growth around the CSI driver and actual bringing storage capabilities within the cluster, it's now a mature cloud-native deployment pattern to put your storage, put your databases inside of your cluster because they're right next to your application. They're going to give you a lot more control and the performance of that. But what we are also seeing is 
that trend around, so Amazon have their RDS. There's a lot of PaaS-based data services as well, RDS, DynamoDB, even MongoDB Atlas, and, and other services like that. Well, we have to consider the data protection for the whole application. So K10 has the ability to not only protect those stateful sets inside the cluster, but also the external data services as well that are in the, in the PaaS. But equally, if it's a virtual machine, databases are difficult to move, right? So a lot of them st stay on that virtual machine, and we still need to protect them as well because they're hard to re-architect. They're hard to change. Is it backing up? So say the database lives in AWS, but my, you know, Veeam instance or my uh, Kubernetes cluster lives somewhere else and I have to traverse the internet for it. Is that capable of a backup using Veeam and Casting K? Yeah, so we could do that. We can offload that into an S3 location so we're not actually coming out of the cluster so let's say for example you might be using another clouds or let's say on-premises might be we using, can say yeah, other we clouds. can say other clouds we, uh, let's, 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 there are other hyperscalers that exist and we all know that so and we all have to play in that space and it's okay to acknowledge them because that's the value of having veeam and the flexibility of different hyperscalers right it, 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 exactly that yeah so if we're in a different cluster then we're not going to if you don't want to bring that data out, we're not going to force you to. Uh, if you want to push that to an S3, if you just want to trigger an application-consistent RDS snapshot, which is a really fast recovery point, and I'm going to keep a couple of them a day because they're really fast recovery or restore points, that's fine as well. Like We're going to be cost-effective from you bringing that data out and conscious of those egress egress charges that, that you might get in some of, some of these clouds, right? I love how you're skating around <laughs> some of these. All right, here's a challenging question for you. And you gave me your 30 second or 60 second or 90 second elevator pitch in the beginning. But you and I are sitting down and I'm a Kubernetes chap, right? And what is the one thing that you would tell me that says, wow, I need this. This is for me. So it's the mobility story first and foremost. But I would ask the question because I speak, I've spoken to a lot of Kubernetes administrators this week and they're like, no, stateless. Everything that we have in our Kubernetes cluster is stateless. But, but then, is it really? Yeah, and then you dig into it. Have you got any persistent volume claims? And they go, yes. I was like, well, that's not stateless then because that's where... And it might not be important data. It might just be observability metrics that you don't need to keep forever. Like if it dies, it dies type thing. But actually, like you probably do need it. Like I need it for audit. It might be some boring use case and regulation that I need to keep it, but you need to keep it. Um, and then you say, okay, so what, you've just got a static app app that lives a, a static website that lives in kubernetes and they're like oh no no it's our our front end lives in there but our database is in rds all right well that's still stateful then your workload is out there so we need to it's, it, we're still very much in that education stage around this how do we protect those workloads and also kubernetes is is we're releasing three times a year from a kubernetes point of view and each one of those releases over the last three years has had some sort of storage related feature and functionality within that release. So Kubernetes as a maintainer, as, a, as, a, as an open source offering, has storage in the back of their mind as well. I think it's, we're still in that education phase, but customers just need to know what, what actually is state within your, within your application. One of the features I like about Veeam when you install it and set it up on the natural stuff, not talking about the casting K, but is when I go through a policy, almost one of the second or third last screen tells me about my cost. Yeah. Costs associated with running this policy based off of my daily, weekly schedule and how many that I would like to retain. 
how is cost and now cost is top of mind for everybody right now and backups cost a lot of money even though i potentially will not use them or i'm hoping not to use them how are you or veeam taking cost into consideration when using cast and k yeah i think the bigger picture around cost and cloud optimization is a massive topic like the show floor here at reinvent is full of cloud and cost optimization vendors and aside from ai and all the other cool new technologies, I think cost, right? spin ops and AI are generating the floor diesel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, uh, so, so from our point of view, it's about how we store that data. How, but equally, how do we how do we restore that data as well? Because a lot of our com competitors, they will they will take a backup file and let's say, for argument's sake, it's a hundred gig backup file. They're going to push that into object storage as a hundred gig file. We're not going to do that because when we come to recover it, you're going to be bringing out a hundred gig file. What we do is we put it into smaller objects, smaller chunks of data, and we only stream what we need to get out of that. So if you're streaming the whole virtual machine instance or database or whatever that is, we're only gonna we're only gonna restore what we need to restore. Like we're gonna be granular about what we do. So we're all also mindful about what that egress looks like, right? Because if you're in one of the three big hyperscalers, that taking anything out is gonna cost you money. Like that's the that's the facts of it. So we want to be efficient for our customers to make sure that you're not just burning burning cash from a restore point of view. And it, it's not always restore either because that mobility story that I mentioned for Kubernetes is also there for our cloud products. That gives us the ability to actually put that data to work, leverage that data somewhere else. It might be, oh, I'm going to give a copy of that database, that VM or that workload to a developer team. So they've got a copy of the data, but they're not messing around with production because I don't want... I don't want my DBAs messing around with production databases because that's that's what's making the business money. I want to I want to give them a clone, a copy of that. So leveraging that data is another key area of that that mobility. But also with the storage underneath, it's all about again cost. I don't want to I don't want to I want to be more efficient when it comes to managing or being the most efficient when it comes to either cloning that data, restoring that data, and making sure that you're not egressing everything out of the out of the bucket wherever you store in that. Margo, you use the example of giving a clone of the database to the developers. First thing that comes to mind, security. If I can do that for my developers, what stops anybody else from doing that or utilizing a clone of that outside of my company for security concerns? Yeah, so I think we all have to. That, like, If we're going to put another bullet point of all the, all the vendors out there on the show floor at reInvent, is security is, is a big, big, big thing. And I was at KubeCon two weeks ago in Chicago, and security is big in that cloud native space as well. We have to have that least privilege model. We have to have that security mindset and integrate that into not just the DevSecOps, but the operations team have to be mindful of, I'm not going to let, not everyone can have God mode. I think we all remember God mode. <laughs> oh my God. Domain hey, admin. That's the default, right? It's Privileges easy. are too much to manage, exactly. too much to deal with. I, you know what, just take it all. I'll, I'll reduce it later. Later never happens. Yeah, and then you're leaving doors open. We have to close them doors and stop that from happening. I think another point that we're that we're seeing out there as well in that cloning, maybe it is a an account database that I want my devs to do some work on, and maybe I need to mask some of that data. I don't, Tom the dev, he doesn't need to see some social security numbers. So we could do that as part of that recovery as well and, and inject. And it's not us doing it. We're, it's a third-party integration that comes in and can mask that data in theory to, to, to give them a copy of a masked database. It's still the same, same data and everything in there, 
but we're masking that sensitive information because we don't, again, it's about least privilege. I don't, they don't need to see it. So that's a, just a, that's just the extensibility of the platform though. Like there is third parties that do copy data management extremely well and we can integrate into them and they can provide that. Michael, talk to me about the install, the setup of K because I'm used to the Veeam install in the console. Is it part of that? Is it something separate? Can I manage them all together? Yeah, good point. Um, so K10 is a Helm chart deployment. So Helm is a package manager for Kubernetes. Um, we're also in some of the marketplaces, the OpenShift, the AWS, the Microsoft, every all of them. All the hyperscalers of clouds, we're not going to make numbers. Yeah, exactly that. We're in, so we're in the marketplace and ultimately the way in which our customers are deploying our software is a Helm chart. It's Helm, in, Helm repo add, Casting K10, Helm install, Casting K10. It's, it's super simple. It's a microservice architecture, as you'd expect. We're, we're an application within your Kubernetes cluster. Um, if you've got 10 plus clusters, you're going to have 10 instances of Kubernetes. And we have a multi-cluster dashboard that hovers over all of them. So you can see all of the, the policies and everything under each one of the clusters. And you can also define global policies and profiles there so we can and we can be dynamic on that like you might say any mysql label i want you to protect that to an s3 bucket called blah 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 in this region on this schedule and even if it's not been deployed yet when it is deployed it will be kept caught by that catch-all policy and it will start sending that so super simple you'll be up and running especially using eks as an example that helm install Generally takes around two, two to three minutes to spin everything up. It has to download the containers and bring that up. But then you can log into the UI and you're you're off to the races. You you can start protecting. There, that's an important part though. Like how easy is it? Like Veeam backend replication, super simple. We can manage K10 in inside of that as well. So for customers that have a bit of virtualization, cloud and Kubernetes, we can have one one interface to manage them all. But it's also modular. K10 can be just deployed on its own because that might just be a, a dedicated Kubernetes team that that does all of this work. So there's there's options. Um, the the other key part is yes, we've got a lovely UI and it's very easy. Next, 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 wizard driven approach. But because we're deployed inside of the Kubernetes cluster, we become part of the Kubernetes API, which then means we ultimately can be driven by automation tools. We can be part of GitOps type pipelines. I've done some sessions around like integrating backup into your Argo CD type pipeline, your GitOps pipelines, pipelines. But yeah, so there's a lot of extensibility, not just with Kasten, but over the whole data platform that we have at Veeam. Security is top of mind, that freedom of data, that mobility of data that we touched on. And then it all, it all boils down to the first conversation that we're having on the show floor is around recovery. How do we recover that data when you need it in the most efficient way that we possibly can. Most efficient and cost-effective way. Michael, what's next for K10? So we just released 6.5 at KubeCon, and that there was three big ticket items that, that we had there. One was around Seam integration. In particular, we, we announced it with Datadog. Um, the second was around importing from a stateful set into Amazon RDS. Last year, I showed the ability to take you out of RDS as well, because not everyone wants that hand-holding service. They want, they want to have more control. RDS is great if you're not a DBA, but you need a database. RDS is the win, right? They're going to keep the lights on. They're going to give you all the bells and whistles that you need. They're going to take advantage. Like They're going to give you that, that value. If you're a DBA, you're probably going to want to tweak some stuff and, and make sure that you've got the performance. So again, that mobility about being able to push in and out of that, that database service. 
And then the final thing um, is around uh, multi-cluster. So like I mentioned, 10 plus clusters, we're seeing a trend of more clusters popping up around the business. Not necessarily like one app per cluster, but actually quite streamlined and 10 plus clusters is a norm. Um, So that multi-cluster dashboard that I touched on and enhancing that so that we can also deploy K10 as part of that GitOps pipeline. So there's some interesting stuff in there. And we're already, I know that the engineering team are in San Jose right now, and I should be there, but I'm here, um, talking about the 7.0 planning that will be around that KubeCon EMEA timeframe. So I'm hoping to do a couple podcasts or something around some of those release, but we'll talk more about that. Before I wrap things up, my last question for you is, those who are looking at K10 or some type of solution to help them out, what advice would you give them? So there's a lot of open source stuff out there that gets you a little bit of the way. Bash scripts. And, and this is cyclical, right? We had this from a virtualization day. Oh, I, can, I, I don't need backup. I don't need a backup tool. I can just use scripts. And that's great. And yes, you can. And and. But the ease and functionality and the management of a script does not take you to the complete thing. You can't go and dig it out, restore it as quick as possible. And there's no visibility except for it worked. And did it really work? Exactly that. So I, I advise anyone that is thinking that they a script is fine, especially as we go into cloud native. I have uh, the, op- the options that I have around databases is, is increased tenfold. I can choose a vector database. I can choose a NoSQL, a SQL for the right particular job that I need. Whereas before we just we just went everything into C- everything into Microsoft SQL, everything into Oracle. Now we've got the choice to choose the right job, right database for the right job. You could potentially have a script for each of them. Yes, you can. But let's simplify that that insurance policy because that's ultimately what a backup is. A backup is is an insurance policy to get you back up and running when bad things happen. The failure scenario, topical, as I mentioned, ransomware attacks, but we all still may make mistakes. That script, and it might have been Tim who developed that script. Five years later, Tim no longer works for the company. So who maintains that? Whereas from an enterprise backup solution, we've got the ability to recover that workload in a really easy, clickable, or even automated way. It just makes sense. Like Open source is great. I love open source. I look after open source from our from our company's perspective, because we want to we wanna also drive like a, awareness within the, the open source community, but it only gets you so far. I think you, you need that supportability. You need that orchestrated way of being able to handle your data. This is important stuff, right? We back up the data because it's important. We back up the data. Hopefully we won't need it, but you need that peace of mind and, and solution. Michael, thank you so much for joining me. Well, everybody, this has been another awesome episode for the John Meyer Podcast. Don't forget to hit that like, subscribe, and notify because guess what? We're out of here.